Hello bisexuals, welcome back to another episode of the Bisexual Agenda. I'm your host Kit Scales. Today I'm talking to Andy Shorts and Morgan Bin. They are both academics who live in Toronto and I found Andy when me and Pip were doing research for the Femme episode and read some of her work and I just thought it was super cool and that also led me to Morgan's website and when I contacted Andy she said Morgan loves podcasts, she wants to be on the podcast too, so it all worked out perfectly. So Andy is a writer, editor and academic. She completed her PhD in Gender Feminist and Women's Studies at York University in Toronto. Morgan is currently writing her PhD at the same place and her PhD is all about how women and girls make music cool. I'm definitely paraphrasing there but I'll link to both of their websites so you can see the work they're doing and read some of the articles too. So we're talking a little bit today about more femme things, femme identity, we're also talking about our favourite extinct social media platform, Tumblr, we're also talking a lot about astrology which of course I love and it's really fun to have some new people on the podcast and do a bit of an international crossover episode. As usual all the trigger warnings and content warnings are in the description, I've also linked everything that we talk about in this episode and if you do have any questions you can always message me on Instagram at the Bisexual Agenda Pod. I'm always open to new ideas for episode themes and guests as well. So I hope you like the episode and I'll see you soon. Welcome to the Bisexual Agenda from Canada. Thanks for coming. Thank you for um, having us. I guess I should talk about how I found you, which is basically because me and Pip were doing the research for the Femme episode and I found your soft femme article and then I was like damn like I wish I could have found this when I was writing my dissertation because I did my dissertation about like Instagram and selfies and then I went on your blog and you were like yeah my best friend is Scorpio and like we've done this article about Carly Rae Jepsen and I was like okay (laughs) I've got to get her on the podcast um so I'm happy that Morgan is here as well I can finally meet another Sagittarius and you just have so much volume in your hair like (laughs) is that where your power lies the me the sag power yeah it's very possible I think it's also just down to genetic and humidity yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna run with that one yeah mm-hmm. power is held in the hair that's why my hair is very flat because yeah. I <laughs> if mean girls has taught us anything it's because secrets are kept there so yeah I guess this is gonna be like kind of an extension of the femme episode because I wanted to talk to you a bit about like your own niche femme like flavor Mm -hmm. Um, because in that episode it was more just saying like anyone can be femme like don't let anyone say that you can't be and I thought it would just be cool to talk to you about like what femme means to you and like what your specific kind of I don't want to say brand because I hate that but like what your vibe of femme means to you because I know Andy you do a lot of stuff about soft femme so I thought maybe you could kind of do a little explanation of like hard femme and soft femme and what it means to you yeah for sure so I started identifying as femme I think probably in I guess when I started dating like was started uh, dating my first girlfriend so that was probably in I don't know 2011 or 2012 or 2010 somewhere around there anyways but at the same time that's like when tumblr was really popular early for me when tumblr was really huge in my life Mm -hmm. and so I actually found like the language of femme through tumblr because in my like real life like with my friends like most of the like queer women and lesbians that I knew were like either butch or kind of like more androgynous I didn't know really any femmes and I didn't hear that language and so I think this is probably typical of many femmes but like when we would go out to the like the gay bar whatever um people would be like ugh what is it femme night and like but it was sad as if it was a bad thing when they would see me coming up or like just my friends would just they meant well but they would be like oh look I'm so femme when they would put on like my things and just like they would laugh whatever I definitely felt like I didn't fit in with the other queer women I knew so finding the, the language of femme on Tumblr was really, really huge for me. And like, yeah, so I went on to like do my entire master's and PhD around femme, especially femme as it circulates on social media. So that's how important it was for me that it, you know, really shaped like the trage- trajectory of my life mm-hmm. for the next several years. So 
And I guess I also found the language of softness on Tumblr as well. And I get that language from the artist Laura Mathis, who is like a poet and visual artist. Their piece um, that stands out to me is Radical Softness as a Weapon. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like a visual art piece that was circulating on Tumblr. And so that's sort of where I started picking up that language of softness. And I guess for me at the time, femme was like on Tumblr, how I learned about it was like being really tough and really fierce. um, But like wearing like mini skirts and lipstick and like saying like, fuck you to like patriarchy and all that kind of stuff. But like, I'm a pretty soft spoken person. I really like leopard print, but I also really like bows and the color pink and stuff like that. Like, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of pets, you know, like I'm a very kind of like girlier person. So that's when I became curious about soft femme. And so like, as I sort of stuck with that thinking, I've like started to understand soft femme as like meaning being like vulnerable and emotional, like and embracing these parts of femininity that like hard femme, for example, are like these parts are patriarchal and we don't like them and we want to mm-hmm. subvert, subvert these parts. So soft femme for me has been like thinking like what can be radical um, and political and valuable about being vulnerable, being emotional and those kinds of things that are seen as soft. Yeah, I think like that was like part of this thing that I liked about your article. It was like actually saying that any traits or aspects of femininity are like straight inherently or like apolitical inherently it's like just misogynistic there's actually no benefit to being like hard femme is radical and like any other version of femme is like playing into what men want and stuff like that because it's just like there's no need to create that kind of binary but I definitely relate to what you were saying about with the hard femme stuff on Tumblr because I feel like there was just years where it was like eyeliner sharp enough to kill a man and like yeah like (laughs) the dominant like femme discourse it was just like I'm so hot that I could kill men (laughs) yeah I think there's also I was just having this conversation with someone I was on a date with the other day she and I were both talking about kind of this tension in like navigating dating and like identity as more like femme presenting queer women and we were joking about the fact that because I was kind of explaining what I do and you know PhD student and we're joking about the fact that pretty much every humanities or like arts PhD that I know, like Andy and myself included, like, I think there's always something in our work that's actually just us working out something about ourselves. <laughs> like, I think it's really self-serving in a lot of ways. And not that that's a bad thing at mm-hmm. all. Because um, I think that's also what allows other people to connect with, like you were saying, Kit, like to find it and connect with it and be like, oh, yeah, like I see myself in this narrative as well. Um, yeah. So it's, it's always funny whenever whenever Andy and I chat about kind of coming to our (laughs) coming to our research topics yeah I feel the same because like when I started so I did art history Mm -hmm. and I took a lot of like film modules and stuff like that and I just remember thinking hey like every essay I write ends up being this like kind of like gay feminist (laughs) rant type thing like I did my first essay about blue is the warmest color and how it was like male gaze type thing because that was very much like when the male gaze stuff was all over Tumblr. And I also feel like a lot of my like early days as a queer person were very shaped by Tumblr. Like I feel like I actually learned so much about like queer and trans people on Tumblr that like straight people just like it's not on their radar in any way (laughs) um and it is weird that like being on a website in like 2010 just like created a very specific like group of like now like queer people in their 20s and stuff like that um I saw this meme that was like you know those triangles where it's like how educated it was like how educated you are and like being on tumblr in like the 2000s was like the top one it was like having a phd being on tumblr it's so true though grad school grad school has nothing on tumblr like circa Mm -hmm. 2010 to 2013 yeah and like all the stuff that i hate about instagram now is like stuff that i liked about tumblr because Mm -hmm. tumblr was basically like the only platform i've ever seen that had like built-in trigger warnings or like you could blacklist certain triggers and things like that Mm -hmm. and also just like the read more like if you wanted to overshare you could just be like you have to click here if you actually want to read it like I feel like they try to build in things to protect people on that platform like even if they didn't necessarily mean it in that way like Mm -hmm. I feel like people kind of took over the tags like the tags became like trigger warnings in a way that they probably weren't intended to be totally yeah I've never I mean I know Andy's thought about this a lot because I know 
you kind of, you talked about both Tumblr and Instagram and ended up focusing more on Instagram because that was kind of the more current platform. But yeah, I think this gap between what the people who make the platforms expect them to be and how people actually take them up and use those spaces is something that, yeah, I know we're both like endlessly fascinated by. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess I wanted to ask you to talk about Dirtbag Femme, Morgan, (laughs) because when I saw that like Andy and you had done like a blog post about Dirtbag Femme, I was like, okay, this is just like exactly what my friend Polly is. Um, Because she's always like, I'm femme, but like, mm, like, she's always just like going camping in the wilderness or like fixing something. And I I know that you have a motorbike and you do your climbing wall and stuff like that. So I just thought it'd be cool to talk about like, being femme isn't always about like, an aesthetic kind of thing. And it can be about like, what you do and like, how you feel about yourself. Yeah, maybe I'll preface this by saying like, this is very much not, (laughs) not like my final, final points on the matter. It's very much something I've kind Mm -hmm. of just been thinking through. And Mm -hmm. I think like, being friends with Andy and kind of being having a front row seat to her research on soft femme and having all of those conversations with my community over the last couple years has like, obviously shaped this thinking. But yeah, I think it's along the same similar lines as Laura Mathis's like low femme, kind of this idea that there's not a right way, right? Like we're kind of, we're certainly presented with like these narratives and these examples of taking up femme in very particular ways. Um, But like anything else, any other kind of gender presentation, right? Like that just doesn't work for 99% of people um, because bodies don't work that way. You know, our lives don't work that way. Like, so yeah. So I think similarly, it's kind of, it's kind of this idea that there is a way just to be femme from wherever you are, which I really like. And I guess specifically around like dirtbag femme, (laughs) I like to think of it in this way as like if femme is about kind of rejecting the male gaze and kind of playing with these components of femininity in a way that serves us and kind of like taking and leaving the parts that we don't like, right? It's it's exactly that. Like I love particular parts of, you know, performing a more kind of femme identity, but then I also like these aspects of culture that are kind of really broy, like <laughs> like motorcycles, like climbing and long distance hiking. Um And so I think it's kind of pushing back against the gaze in an interesting way to be like, oh, no, like I'm still going to be taking up space in these communities because God knows bros have been taking up too much space forever. But I'm going to be doing that in a way that also incorporates, you know, my queer politics and questions of like care and mutual aid and just being a little bit more conscious about the ways in which I show up to those to those spaces. And then I guess the other part is like, as someone who's had a history of like, like many of us, I think, like kind of a complicated relationship with her body um, and disordered eating and stuff like that, thinking of my body less in terms of like how it looks and more like what it can do and kind of just like, yeah, just like reframing that for myself, I think mm-hmm. felt like a really healing and like a really kind of grounding way to start to think about my queerness and my gender and like all of these other things kind of enmeshed in one yeah because I can't remember which blog post it was in but I think that you said something about like high femme is kind of like proposition just like the most femme way to be or like Mm. the best way to be femme like and I think I felt that way like when I was first coming out like I do really like dressing up but I think now like because of the pandemic and like I never wear makeup anymore I don't really dress up and I've kind of realized I think it actually made me feel more insecure to put that much effort into the way I looked because Mm -hmm. because it was so different to how I looked day to day I felt so self-conscious but also I wanted to be perceived in this like high femme way I feel like a lot of it was just about how people would see me and I don't think that's necessarily like a problem Mm -hmm. but then I'm like well I don't want my like femme identity to purely hinge on like putting makeup and a cool outfit on I think it's cool that you're thinking about like what femme means to you in terms of like reclaiming things that you enjoy and especially things that are like more like masculine or like things that men just kind of take over. Like, do you find like when you're going on these like climbing things or whatever, like, is there like groups of guys there that you feel like you have to kind of like ice break into to like claim your space there? Or is it more like you just find the version of it that is like queer friendly and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I think I've been really lucky. I got into climbing through a friend from our graduate program actually who had started a group specifically for queer climbers here in Toronto um and so my experience of that space has always kind of been one of like 
community and, you know, the people showing you the ropes, mm-hmm. if you'll pardon the pun, <laughs> um, like have always been people not like me, but like at least there's like this, this shared understanding of like, yeah, kind of fucking up those like hierarchies of where you learn the skill, if that makes sense. And then I think I learned, I, I use this example in the the chat that Andy and I did for her blog last year. But um, in summer 2019, when I was doing kind of a lot of outdoor stuff and hiking and trips and things, obviously that didn't happen very much in 2020. Um, But yeah, I had this moment where I like sat down at the end of the season and I was like, I haven't done a single thing this year. That wasn't like I I did some trips by myself solo. um, But all of my other kind of like group trips were trips and hikes and canoe trips um, with other queer women, which felt really cool. Because I guess I've been lucky and kind of I've been able to kind of skirt around that question of like breaking into a more masculinized like community around around outdoor industries, which is obviously so prevalent. Because I just kind of I'm lucky in that I have dope friends who will just teach me this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that answers the question entirely, but well, I know I can't even remember what my question is. Whenever I stop talking, so it's totally fine. Okay. I did want to ask you both, like, what is something over 2020 or like the pandemic in general that has made you feel like connected to being femme or just like your queerness in general? I love this question. And do you want to go first? I feel like I've been talking nonstop. You, but you seem really excited to answer. So I'm so no, curious what you have to say. So something over the pandemic that's made me feel more connected to being femme. I imagine this might be what Morgan wants to talk about too. But I guess even though we were talking a lot about Tumblr and I think we pretty much all agree that Tumblr far surpasses Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, something that was like really um, interesting about the pandemic was all of the connections I made with other femmes, like online specifically and specifically through Instagram. It was like through the pandemic I, is when I started making the soft femme zine series and, you know, sharing it, sharing little pieces of it online and connecting with other femmes. So getting to meet a lot of like meet, you know, talk with like other friends that I don't actually know in real life and getting to talk about like, you know, one of the things that yeah, we experienced or I'll just say I did, but you know, Mm -hmm. you're saying this too, is like being an indoor femme, like now that we're inside and we're not like, you know, flagging femme to like connect with our community. So people are like, oh yeah, I see that you're a femme and like, let's, you know, (laughs) connect. It's like, yeah, what happens how do you continue to be fam indoors? And like, so I would like write what I thought about it and put it out online and then people would like respond. And like, you know, that was really cool to think about. Um, like all femmes to some degree are kind of going through this in a way, like maybe that's too general, but a lot of, a lot of us did seem to be. So I guess that part was really interesting, like making the zines and connecting with strangers. But also I think maybe, I'm not sure if this is tipping it to Morgan now, but yeah, also connecting more deeply with the femmes in my life that I already knew. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to me because it's (laughs) making me think like when I was on Tumblr, like in 2010 and stuff, and I was like 16 and living at home and then making all these like queer friends on Tumblr, like some of which like I'm still friends with now so like two of my best friends are people that I met on Tumblr and that she didn't meet for like years and years and now we're like super close friends and it's like in the pandemic it's like made it more normal to have like internet friends I guess or like have people that you'd never really actually spend time with in real life that you do have a really close relationship with I think queer people are very much more like, oh, it's normal to have like internet friends that you've never met, like especially when you're like a teenager and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. it's cool that the pandemic has kind of like forced people to try and make connections and stuff. Because I remember at the start of pandemic, I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to date for like two years then because how am I going to meet anyone? And then I ended up dating someone I knew anyway. (laughs) But it's just like... I felt like, oh, okay, you're really going to have to make a serious effort if you want to make, like, a new friend or find someone to date. You have to be a lot more intentional about, like, how you're spending your time. Like, you're not just going to go to an event and, like, bump into someone. I think, yeah, I like this idea of queer folks just by virtue of already kind of having to find community in more, like, spread out space, I guess. Kind of have a leg up on the whole long-distance care and friendship thing. (laughs) I just love that idea so much. I have a best friend in New York City who I've never met. Um, and we met on a queer dating app because we're both Sagittarius oh and both that. named Morgan. And like, yeah, we, we finally get to like plan our visit now for probably so like late, late 2021. And like, 
were joking about, you know, running off and getting married because, like, that would just be, like, a fun Sag thing to do. You should get um, married in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, that's, that's the thing, right? Like, we just, there is kind of, like, this capacity, I think, in pandemic time or, like, lockdown time to kind of have those, like, no one's really been batting an eye at the idea of having these, like, really rich, intimate relationships in digital space or, like, in kind of, like, distanced ways. Whereas before it was, yeah, there's, like, this weird stigma perhaps but anyways to actually answer your question (laughs) um i feel like andy gave a very wholesome answer and it was very cute and i'm just gonna be really the opposite um but i cut myself a mullet last summer and that has been really affirming for my queerness (laughs) it's extremely grown out (laughs) i'm about to actually go have a real haircut in two weeks and i'm holding off with everything i have but um, last summer when it was also really hot and really humid, I just went to town on my hair and gave myself probably arguably the queerest haircut of yeah. my life. <laughs> this is going to be just deja vu because did you read that article that there was loads of like online drama about where this bisexual woman was like, my boyfriend gave me this bisexual haircut yeah. in lockdown and it affirmed my queerness and everyone was like, that haircut isn't gay. <laughs> like, they were like, I didn't actually like. I have to confess, I didn't actually read the article, or I don't remember reading the article. But I remember being like, "What? You guys don't know what queer cuts are?" <laughs> like, what? I know. I just remember like and it made me feel old. And being like, "Oh, that's the Twitter news of the day that I'm just gonna completely ignore." I can't like achieve gay hair because my hair is just extremely boring and long. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm always like happy for anyone who does have gay hair. Yeah. My answer is probably the mullet. Also got really into bike shorts recently. I don't know. That feels pretty gay. That is gay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I feel seen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I feel like this is the perfect segue to my theory that every gay person has like an astrological life twin that they're meant to find and then become best friends with. (laughs) So Say say more right now. Exactly. So my best friend is this girl called Maura who lives in the Netherlands and we met on Tumblr and then we became best friends mainly because we used to message on Tumblr all the time about our like boy drama and then one day she was like oh I've got to tell you this story and she sent me a whatsapp voice memo while she was like cycling back from a bar and like told me all this shit that had gone down like on her night out and I think from that day we just have like been best friends but our birth charts are like very very similar like she's a Scorpio and I'm a Sagittarius and the big three are different but she has a Sag rising but then all the other placements are basically identical so I have like loads of hidden hidden Scorpio in my chart that just makes me like really moody (laughs) Uh, and yeah I just really believe that everyone out there has like astrological life twin we've dated people of the same star sign at the same time and then we've also had like big life events happen at the same time I don't want to like blow up our business too much but we both got cheated (laughs) on by Tauruses in like the span of like two weeks whoa so yeah, that's she old for a Taurus. Taurus is our life ruiners. I really, me and her like really <laughs> believe that. Although now like she's found like a nice Taurus that she's like very happily coupled up with. But it's like we had a series of like terrible relationship dramas that were very like mirroring each other with the same star sign. So yeah, I just feel like every queer person has a twin out there that they're gonna somehow meet on the internet. <laughs> Uh, yeah and Morgan is mine we have like no placements in common honestly I would say we have absolutely you have a Sag Venus I have a Sagittarius Venus so this and is I have why a Scorpio Mercury yeah which I feel like maybe I don't know maybe there's something there and then you the... also have Taurus you have Taurus in your big three and so I have I. Taurus rising in your Taurus moon Perhaps. so there's like they're not like wildly different I guess but yeah like I'm a Scorpio sun Morgan is a Sagittarius sun so we're very very different even like hearing us probably talk about like our approach to femme like so different mm-hmm. like we look well we kind of are dressed the same even right now but like in a very like different way like we're both wearing like overalls and mine are like purple and printed and I'm wearing like a mesh blue t-shirt and Morgan's like wearing like a different version of the same outfits like white t-shirt and like denim but we have also had almost like to your point about dating like almost creepily similar relationships with people of the same sun sign but like years apart actually yeah like I often joke that I mean we we also didn't meet on the internet we met because we were in the same the same program at school Mm -hmm. but um yeah to your point like 
I've, I've made so many jokes about Andy just basically being me like two years in the future. Like we've kind yeah. of done a lot of things like just staggered enough that we've never met. Like we went to the same undergraduate institution. Um, in the same program. In the same program. We found out like we didn't find this out until we both ended up in Toronto years later. But like I used to go to the diner where Andy worked like all the time for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, we quite literally like lived in houses across the street from each other. But like we missed each other. Like Andy moved out like a month before I moved in. Um, so, so we were was... always destined to be friends. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so like we just been chasing each other. Yeah. So we like to joke that the universe had a plan for us. Yeah. And it was just like a matter of when, like maybe just yeah. like the timing wasn't quite right. Yeah. But we did it. So that's, so that's pretty funny. And then we ended up meeting because we were in the same, I think, I believe, I think I was going into the PhD when Morgan was going into the master's or something at the same program. So like, you know, we're just a little bit different, but. Yeah. And even I mean, then it took me two or three years to befriend Andy because she was just so beautiful and I was so intimidated. <laughs> that Scorpio mystique. Uh, Scorpio bitch face. Do not approach. Yeah. <laughs> We're definitely also very different in a lot of ways. Like whenever yeah. you see like a picture of us together, like it's very, it very much kind of looks like one of those like unlikely animal friendships. Yeah, is it like the goth budgie and the rainbow budgie? Yes. Exactly. But the goth yeah. budgie is also like seven inches taller. Yeah. Oh, no. And arguably like the like brighter personality, I would say. Like I think I dress brightly to make up for my Scorpio moodiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause yeah. I think if you looked at a picture and tried to guess who was the Scorpio oh. who was the Sagittarius. No, because <laughs> I remember because when I had read your Kai Ray Jepsen Scorpio Sagittarius article, I then was like looking at both your websites being like, I wonder which one is which. And I really <laughs> did think that Morgan was the Scorpio because I yeah. was like, she's she's wearing a leather jacket, she has a motorbike <laughs> yes exactly but then I was like oh it's not it's the other way around yeah it's oh, very confusing we like well, I also have a Libra moon I don't know there's a lot of Libra placements also which I think lightens me up a bit yeah, yeah. and I'm basically I'm basically a secret earth sign like I have yeah. so much fucking earth <laughs> in my charts so um I don't know maybe, maybe that explains, that explains the like I just love being outdoors and like mm-hmm. getting dirty <laughs> No, but also a Virgo rising. So like, I'm always, I'm always down to make a very detailed itinerary. Mm-hmm. That's a great thing to harness the like madness of the Sagittarius because I have literally no Earth in my chart, and then it just means that I have to find loads of Earth sign friends to like keep really in check. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, it's... all my friends are Capricorns. I've dated three Virgos in a row. I feel like something from a Virgo. Like I need to learn or something. Like yeah, take yeah, a little more. bit of that. Yeah, and now I'm on, like, third time lucky Virgo number three. And oh. my partner has, like, everything Virgo. Like, oh my God. the Virgo sun, Virgo moon, Virgo mercury, Virgo venus. And then they have oh. Aquarius rising, so they're just, like, an alien. Like, oh, a whoa. Alien. That's <laughs> so, so fun. But, yeah, I just feel like because there's no Earth in my chart, I'm, like, desperately clinging on to, like, Earth sign people that I meet because I'm, like, please, I need some stability in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that I mean not to pin everything on astrology but I think there's definitely something to the theory that like you seek out energy that you yourself like perhaps don't have or like doesn't come easily to you like it would certainly explain why 85% of my friends are water signs yeah and why like 85 no I'd say like 99% of my friends are (laughs) like fire signs if not actually just a Sagittarius I know I don't have any Sagittarius friends and it makes me kind of sad because I'm like I want to tap into my Sag nature more because I always say like I'm basically an undercover Libra or undercover Scorpio because I'm Libra moon and Libra rising mm-hmm. and when I found that out I was like okay that explains why I cannot make a fucking decision because you know like when you can go somewhere and get like a sandwich and a drink and a snack and then it's like in a meal deal yes. it would take me like half an hour to choose and I would get so stressed so now I'm like <laughs> Okay, like, that's a reason why I can't make a decision. The main thing for me is, like, I know that... Well, I don't know if you have this, Morgan, but I cannot lie. Like, I literally can't lie. See, but that's where the Scorp Mercury comes in. <laughs> I feel like... Not that I, like, am a compulsive liar, but I feel I feel like I'm just, like, very private sometimes. So it's kind of like a, like a lie by omission yeah. type situation sometimes. But yeah, yeah, I literally, I can't lie. So like having a Scorpio friend where I know like if I say my honest opinion, they're not going to be offended or 
upset. That's like one of my favorite things about Scorpios that you can just kind of say the truth. They would prefer that you said the truth. Yes, we would. (laughs) If the Scorpio finds out that you've like lied about something, it's like, it's kind of over for you. Totally. And I think also like the bluntness of Sag energy gets a bad rap sometimes, but it's like, no, we just want to be really upfront to the point of maybe hurting some people's feelings. I know. Yeah. Maybe this is just like a beautiful bonding exercise, but maybe you can be like what your favorite thing about a Scorpio is or a Sag is. It's like free therapy. Thank you, Kit. (laughs) Uh, I I feel like Andy and I like kind of on that note of like having kind of different communication styles I think sometimes we're actually pretty bad at affirming one another and being I don't know being upfront about like what we appreciate about one another we just kind of like do it so this is so nice do you want to go first uh okay I'll sit here in (laughs) bath I want to think about it and I'm glad that we actually wrote that um article about our friendship because you know we had a chance to articulate some of those things and actually writing that piece like 35 things that carly what did we call it like carly ray jepson written it down. okay it's 35 things that carly ray jepson taught us about scorp sag intimacies <laughs> arguably our finest work today <laughs> yeah so actually working on that piece together which we so we did it in the pandemic so we were writing it remotely like over you know google doc or whatever we had some moments where we're like oh that meant that to you like it was actually really nice to be like oh i didn't realize that that had such an impact on you or like i thought you hated that but you loved it that's Mm -hmm. that's great so that was actually really nice i guess and i don't know if this is particular to sagittarius but my favorite thing about morgan is that Oh, you're gonna make me cry. Is that? um, I feel bad. I'm like, let's make this really intense. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, I'm here for it. But my favorite thing about Morgan is that, like, she literally always shows up. Like everything. Like if I'm giving like a talk, like she's like the first person in like the Zoom room, or like if there was a real room, she'd be there too. Or like just like earlier this week, so like I was having like Morgan and I were having a bit of a heart to heart about like healing power of friendship. And so Morgan lives across the city from me. I'd say it's like 40 minutes probably on a bike. So later that afternoon, she just like called me and was like, are you at home? And I was like, yes. And she had biked over to bring me this book about friendship because she's like, I just felt like you needed it this week. You know, like, that's so cute. It's so cute. And I don't know, like, if it can blame it on the Scorpio placement, like a just distrust of people. Like, I always assume like, oh, you know, people won't show up. But Morgan, like, Morgan is the person who like, literally always does, which you maybe wouldn't expect from a Sagittarius. Because they're supposed to be flighty. I don't know. But anyways, she does. Yeah, that's so cute. And it's good to have that from a friend. I feel like every Scorpio needs a friend that like is so reliable that every time like someone fucks them over, like especially in a romantic situation, you can be like, okay, well, at least like Morgan's not going to do that to me. <laughs> like, It's exactly. good to have like someone that can be like, okay, not everyone's like that. Like, Yeah. And they, and they prove it to you every time. Like even when you start to doubt it, it's like you just get prove it wrong, which is really important like just for me anyways so that would be, I would say that would be my favorite thing and I don't yeah know if that's Sagittarius or a Morgan special <laughs> yeah well like I'm so lazy I would never ride a bike to someone's house <laughs> <laughs> and I have to go second after that yeah now you have to say something nice about me <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, I mean, I guess mine is, like, showing up in a different way. But, like, I guess if we just want to really, like, build a three-line, like, I think I'm someone who is more comfortable um, kind of, like, showing care or, like, showing up for folks and, like, more kind of those, like, concrete gestures versus, like, saying it sometimes. Um, (laughs) And so, like, the gorgeous thing about my relationship with Andy is that like she very much again maybe it's the scorp maybe it's down to astrology but she like very much has always like given me the space to be really messy and like as gross and mushy and nostalgic and you know whatever as I would like like my impulse is always to apologize for it like we had we had a lot of conversations through pandemic over video chat and I'd always be like oh god like I'm sorry for taking up so much space with like this drama or this question or like this thing I'm working through and she was always just like no like I want to hear like (laughs) 
this is why we're friends. Like, this is why I'm show- like showing up to this conversation. So like, take as much time as you need. And on that note, like whenever I have told her stuff that is embarrassing or messy, or I'm still working through it, like, like I know it's not going anywhere. <laughs> I think it's given me permission to kind of show up without fully formed kind of opinions or decisions and just kind of present her like the mush and be like, eh, what can we do with this? <laughs> and she's always really good at that. I love that. Yeah, I feel the same about my friend Maura because like I'll send her like a 10 minute long voice note and then I'll like be like, oh God, I'm sorry. That's so boring. Or like, I can't even remember what I'm saying. Cause sometimes I'm like literally getting stuff out of the fridge and I'm like sending her a voice memo like, what am I going to cook for tea? And then I'm like going on about some drama that I'm stressed out about. And yeah, she's always like, no, I love hearing about it. Like for me, I love talking things through. Like I love therapy. So I love like just getting everything out. And sometimes I do think, oh no, is this like one-sided? But I think when you have someone who's like, no, I'm there to listen and I know that you're there for me as well. It's beautiful. Mm, it's for the sure. perfect thing. I love being welcomed into the inner workings, you know, like that to me is like a beautiful gift and beautiful invitation. So I always RSVP to that party. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And it's like, yeah, like it's good knowing that like that person is going to respect what you're saying to them. Like I feel like Scorpios understand like you can't read someone else's diary. Like, you know, the kind of ground rules that like, you can't like force someone to to let you into that kind of thing but like if you create the space for them to want to do that like mm-hmm. that's the like best thing for everyone yeah and also just like won't judge like I think at this point Andy and I have been like we've known each other for a little bit longer but we've been like close close friends for like four-ish years and I think at this point we've we've both just seen each other in so many different situations and like as so many versions of ourselves that mm-hmm. like nothing is too messy <laughs> Yeah. yeah which is nice I don't know if it feels special with a Scorpio <laughs> I know because you're like oh my god I'm so honored that you've kept me around like because I know that like you were saying about Andy like culling her wardrobe and it's like Scorpios definitely do like the culling like every however long where they're like okay all these friends they've got to go like oh my god yeah we to- I totally do I didn't even ever think of it like that but I'm like I guess I just love self-improvement and I think Sagittarius is do too ruthless a ruthless oh. commitment to change and growth. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's transform. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that is just the biggest Scorpio thing. Like, it's like I'm gonna change my hair and my life and my inner circle and my passions and my goals. <laughs> <laughs> it's hardcore. And do you want to do it so I pick it for you or I can like hover my hand over it and you can tell me when to pick one? I think you can pick. Yeah, you can pick. Use your magic. Then it makes me like, oh. (laughs) Um, Morgan, do you have, did you, do you have a question for the tarot today? I think you and I were chatting about this a little before we started recording, Andy. And like, I think we both, both of our questions are kind of quite similar in terms of just like, I mean, what what was yours, Andy? You articulated it really well when we were chatting. Yeah, so um, because one of the things that we've been talking about today is like about friendship. And like I kind of mentioned that this has been on my mind in my life lately, like as I was saying that Morgan brought me this book about friendship. So I wanted to kind of ask the tarot, like, I guess the question is sort of like, how can I like show up for my friendships more? Or like, what what can I bring to my friendships? Or like, how can I lean on those friendships okay that's a good question and I'm just hoping I pick something that makes sense for that question so I have like the tiny book that comes with the pack and this just Mm -hmm. has like three words for each card and then I have Querying the Tarot which is by Cassandra Snow Ooh, I wanted to read that one oh my god there's a card in here oh wow (laughs) (laughs) like as a bookmark (laughs) no I don't know why that's in there what card was it okay it's judgment maybe I just didn't want to get judged anymore (laughs) that away the tarot works in mysterious ways it really does because my friend was like in love with her best friend they were both like in love with each other without realizing and then they did like a tarot thing like together and the lovers like kept pinging out like every time they were shuffling and they were both like they were both like oh my god (laughs) don't tell her she's gonna know yeah that's amazing Tarot and also very oh, gay wow i know it's like let's do a tarot and see if we should be in love yeah. 
Oh no. Okay, this is not good. So the three words are rock bottom, insecurity, and illness. Mm -hmm. The fives in general are cards of duress and heartbreak, and this one specifically speaks to financial loss and poverty. Pentacles are earth energy, and earth is anything that keeps us connected to the world around us and allows us to grow and thrive. That means that this five also speaks to feeling isolated and disconnected, and it can include feeling lost or alone spiritually or existentially. This is a hard card and one where it's easy to get down on yourself and lost in your emotions. I don't want to overlook the very common piece of the artwork in this card though. The card often shows a couple of people lost or stuck in the snow while they look in on a lush room filled with happy people. Okay, I feel like this is very like isolation, lockdown mood. Mm -hmm. Okay, there are two ways to interpret that. One is, wow, that's a really hard time you're going through and you're 100% right to feel like this isn't fair. It can also be taken as a warning not to compare yourself and your life to others. In the heyday of internet and Instagram and all of our apps, it's easy to look at what other people have and are boasting about and feel low about where we are and how we're doing. Depending on how you see this card, there are two different outlets for those feelings. You can use that stable earth energy to figure out how to move yourself forward, or you can just stop. Stop comparing yourself to other people because where you are is where you're where you are now. If you can change it, this card is a message to do so. But if you can't, you're only going to hurt yourself by staring in vain at what other people have. This is just reminding me, I think this came up for someone that I did a reading for fairly recently. I guess in terms of friendship, this might be kind of saying to check in on your friends who you think are doing really well and like don't need your help. Like Mm -hmm. the person that you think is doing great, maybe they're not doing so great I think that's the kind of thing I would take from this but then Mm -hmm. I guess it's also about being there for people when they are at their worst place but I feel like as a Scorpio you're probably pretty good at them (laughs) it's about not comparing yourself to other people and their relationships Mm -hmm. I guess in terms of friendship maybe that's about not comparing yourself to the friendships that they have with other people right Ugh, it's really hitting home, honestly. Even though it's like really vague, I guess the tarot is like it's so interesting because um, even if you're kind of s- speaking kind of vaguely, it's like if there's something that's really acute, you can find it in in the description. That is actually making a lot of sense to me. And I also think it's interesting to think about like yeah, your friends are like a tremendous resource for you in terms of like healing. So like the and the five is interesting because it's maybe forgotten or you don't see it that way, but it's like a reminder that. Like, even though you're feeling that, like, scarcity, it's there, actually. Very interesting. Beautiful. Okay, I'm glad that made some kind of sense to you, because I'm always worried people are going <laughs> to ask does, a question, yeah. and the answer's going to be like, yeah, that just doesn't. That just doesn't right. make sense. So, Morgan, did you have a, a question, or do you want to stick with mine? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really related. I mean, I think a lot, for a lot of us, our relationships and our friendships kind of obviously underwent a really significant shift about 16 months ago (laughs) and we had to kind of find different ways of connecting and relating um and so I guess just on kind of the other side of that as things here in Canada and some other places start to feel a little bit more possible in terms of that like in-person relating I guess just yeah like what what should I be keeping in mind in my relationships and friendships as we kind of undergo this subsequent kind of shift Mm -hmm. I've picked you the ten of wands it's burden, heavy load, and responsibilities. But we'll see what Cassandra says, because sometimes she's kind of switching up a little bit. The Ten of Wands, and the picture is like a man in prison. So that's like not... That's pretty fun. intense. That's <laughs> not the It says, if there's ever a time to assess the Ten of Wands in all of its potential queer glory, it's now. The past few years have been completely overwhelming and exhausting, regardless of where you land on the political or social spectrum. For many of us concerned with collective liberation and freedom, each new year hasn't exactly reset things in the way that we'd hoped. As a result, many of us are running around trying to fix everything at once and feeling defeated and losing steam every step of the way. Appropriately, the Ten of Wands is a card of complete and utter exhaustion. So... It's warning you that if you have good intentions going into a situation, you still might end up with like too much on your plate. And I guess that kind of relates to like coming out of like the situation that we've been in because you might like over, you might be like, oh, I want to see all my friends and I'm going to like book in to do all these things and maybe not take into account like how much energy those things are going to take up and a lot more than they would 
normally like Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're the same but now if I go outside for like more than two hours I'm like I'm exhausted like yes she says I see this card come up disproportionately for queer seekers because we're so on fire to create change that we often can't see where we're headed into dangerous territory you can't give thirsty people water when your own cup is empty and I see so many cases of overload where every card I lay out is about self-care and adequate rest when reading for my community. The Ten of Wands shows up when you have to take a step back, no matter how much you love your projects, or you'll end up so frazzled that you'll be unable to help anyone, including yourself. So she basically says it's really important to have boundaries, even when you don't want to. Hey guys, it's me from the future just coming to explain the Wi-Fi drama. So basically Morgan's Wi-Fi cut out a couple of times and it meant that even though I tried, she did not hear her tarot completely. (laughs) So this is why I say I don't know how much of that you heard, but we got through it in the end because we're resourceful. I don't know how much you heard of the thing I read out. Um, I did. I did some independent study while my Wi-Fi was also glitching. I pulled out my tarot book because <laughs> um, the Virgo rising is strong. Yeah, it feels pretty on the yeah. nose, I think. Okay. Yeah. This question of like coming back into relationships with folks and like especially community and just kind of like being very conscious of how much you're taking on, I mm-hmm. think is a really, a really relevant one for sure. It's important to not, like, put yourself in a situation where you then end up not being able to do anything. Like, I think that's the most important thing. Totally. And I think I've done a lot of thinking through pandemic about kind of my tendency to take on this role as, like, the organizer or, like, the planner of the friend group. Yeah, and kind of let, let go of a lot of that. And so I think kind of coming back into those relationships, like, just being conscious of, like, not taking that on again, you know? Yeah, because also it's like, this is a good chance for people to like, reframe things and be like, actually, I'm not going to be that person anymore. And Mm. like, those kind of expectations, like, I'm not always gonna, like, be that person for everyone. Totally. And like, because you've had a break from like, certain friends and stuff like that, it's much easier to be like, actually, like, I have new boundaries now. Mm -hmm. um, In a way that doesn't feel like you're suddenly like, changing everything. Um, yeah interesting yeah okay so i am just dying to know what andy's um (laughs) agenda is (laughs) so so our bisexual agenda we decided to kind of do like the the whole theme of our friendship it's the same thing but different (laughs) so we're talking about free little libraries and so i don't know if you have these where you live but where we live there's like on a lot of streets in toronto there's like someone has built these little uh, free little libraries. So they're like um, a little box on a post with a little cute door, maybe a little cute roof. It's like a birdhouse for books. So mm-hmm. people in the neighborhood put their books that they're done reading. Do you have yeah, those kinds so of things? We walked past one like the other day because there was one near my friend Amelia's house, but I've never seen one before, like just outside. But yeah, it's so yeah. wholesome. Okay. So you know the concept. It is, it is so wholesome. And Morgan and I have both found uh, gems. What was I going to call them? The little gems of the little libraries? I can't remember. That's so cute. So this is one, like, you obviously you can't see me, but I found this book, Invitation to a Royal Wedding, and it's in a book all about Princess Diana and Prince Charles' wedding, you know, back in the, I guess, early 90s. And this book delighted me because it says on the cover that it features in full color the wedding day's pageantry and splendor, which are two things that I love. And But this also gives me an opportunity to talk about my secret obsession with the royals. And I think we can all agree imperialism is horrible. The royals are really not great. We don't like it. But over the pandemic, I got really into watching a lot of documentaries about the royals. And so my hot take that I just really need everyone to know is that like, at least since like the late 70s, early 80s, this, the story of the Windsors is really one about like, water sign dramatics. And that is what's fascinating to me. Because I don't know if you guys know this already, but like, you know, Prince Charles is a Scorpio, Diana is a Cancer, Camilla is a Cancer, Prince William also a Cancer. 
And then Harry, the sensible one, is a Virgo who is like, listen, I'm, this needs to end. I'm leaving. And I just think it's very fascinating. Like all of the um, Prince Charles and Princess Diana dynamics from like the 90s is very interesting to me. So I am, <laughs> this is what I've chosen to talk about. Oh my is, God, uh, no. Yeah. I also thought that because I was saying to Morgan, like I missed, I listened to the um, You're Wrong About um series about princess diana mm-hmm. because there is like a lot of like mythology around her as like a cultural figure like yeah especially in the uk but also like everywhere yeah um and i was thinking okay i've got to find out her star sign mm-hmm. so when i found out that she was a cancer i was like this just makes so much sense because her yeah. whole thing was just like i just want people to like me and i just want to care about people yeah and just the people's princess right like yeah and then when I found out the whole like Scorpio cancer thing I was just like obviously that was doomed to like never work out (laughs) (laughs) and it just oh and it's surprising to me because it's like the fact that he just like like the overarching theme seemed to be that he basically didn't understand why she didn't like all the weird horrible emotionless traditions of the royal family Mm -hmm. and like how come a Scorpio can understand someone else having emotions like (laughs) He's really letting the side down. Yeah, but what I think is, like, so I am a Scorpio and, like, all of my long-term partners have been cancers and I'm really obsessed with cancers and I think the Scorpio-cancer connection is, like, blessed. Like, I really do. (laughs) Yes, I really do. So so to me, I'm, like, knowing that I guess the story is that, you know, he dated Camilla before he married Diana. And, like, I feel uncomfortable saying this, but I find it, like, there's, like, something very romantic to me about how that, like, love connection persisted despite, you know, this, like, the weight of the the crown. Like, you know, all of this stuff that mm-hmm. was so pressing. And it's, so to me, it's, like, a really uh, dramatic love story and, like, further evidence to my belief relentless belief in the Scorpio cancer love connection so that's what I have to say about it (laughs) that is so intense I can't believe that like I I kind of have a secret vendetta against cancers only because I've had a negative experience with a very clingy cancer Mm. but wow this is a very safe space for cancer bashing it's fine (laughs) okay good for you I mean it makes sense that a Scorpio wants like a very intense romantic connection but for me I'm just like I don't have enough room for a cancer's emotions on top of Mm -hmm. mine. Like, I don't think I could ever do that. Yeah, I mean, it takes a very specific personality to be down. And like, I have it. So (laughs) I have have that personality. One of my other, like my best friend is um, a Leo because all of Mm -hmm. my friends are fire signs. But she was dating this person who was a Scorpio sun with a cancer moon. And I was like, I mean, I could do it, but I don't really see it for you. And it didn't last super long because she was like, what is all this? <laughs> it's a lot. It's a yeah, lot it's a lot. Okay, I kind so. of love that somehow you've like somehow accidentally compared yourself to Prince Charles. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Yes. And so I just want to be very clear. I'm super uncomfortable with this. Anyways, it's a weird <laughs> I don't. I, I can't explain this. It's a weird, uh, weird interest of mine. <laughs> That's, that's kind cool. of embarrassing. It's okay. <laughs> and I really think you should, if you haven't listened to that podcast series already, you should definitely listen to it. Yeah, um, I will. Because it's good. And they do a lot of series about like women who are misunderstood. It's interesting because Diana was misunderstood, but she was liked. Um, yeah. Most of the women they talk about were misunderstood and disliked. Yeah. Well, I guess she was, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure she was disliked by like, the royal family oh yeah <laughs> um i watched quite a few documentaries about her but i will delve into the podcast next that's good okay i feel like that was such a revelation i really wasn't expecting that <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you did a joint agenda or if you're doing like well it's, it's it's variations on a theme yeah. yeah the more i'm thinking more. through it the more i'm realizing things are like interrelated here um Anyways, I feel like I've just been sat here like cackling through Andy's. So I'm sorry mm-hmm. to, to future Kit who has to edit that section. <laughs> but yeah, so Andy and I were chatting about kind of talking about the little free libraries and how they kind of just like give us things when we need them. You know, mm-hmm. there's always there's always like a lesson in what you find. And so my one of my roommates who is 
coincidentally a cancer. Um, she came back from a walk the other day and she'd brought me home a present from the Little Free Library, which was, I don't know if either of you guys ever read the Louise Renison books, the Georgia Nicholson series. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, just to tie in with like the Anglo, you know, the Anglo <laughs> theme of it all. But um, <laughs> yeah, she brought me back one of those books, which like I probably hadn't laid eyes on since I was like 14. Um, but it's the one where Georgia goes to Paris. It's called Dancing in My Nutty Pants. But I just got me thinking about the thing that's kind of the things I used to read as like a young teenager and like how I mean, I definitely blame this this book series for like a solid third of my sense of humor, if not my entire personality. So just thinking about like kind of like it. <laughs> you don't I blame it. it. You blame it. <laughs> no, fire sign, babe. We blame things. Um, and then also it just got me thinking about kind of like through lines if we want to like call back to like our discussion about Tumblr earlier. Like I think a lot of that kind of like absurdist humor also showed up in those spaces. And I see it like reflected in like some of the novels I've I've been reading more recently, like Casey McQuiston's books, um, which are like beautiful queer like rom-coms. Um Anyway, so this isn't really a coherent thought, but I guess I guess my bisexual agenda is just like thinking about these these revelations about kind of like where where our maybe our senses of humor come from, and then also just like appreciating how they've evolved and not evolved um, over the intervening years, and also just a deep appreciation for ridiculous British media because it will always <laughs> be my favorite. <laughs> That's really reminded me of something because I don't, I can't work out like what series it was in or what book it was, but I feel like a book that really shaped me as a teenager was about a girl who goes to visit her dad who lives in Brighton and basically finds out that her dad is gay, like after her parents' divorce. Mm-hmm. And his new partner is like a drag queen and they like dress up in all his clothes. And I just remember reading that and being like, this sounds like the life, like I want to have a gay dad. <laughs> <laughs> That just sounds so great. But I really don't know, like, what book it was. But I feel like it was very in the same vein as, like, those. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, I was, like, I was such a voracious reader when I was, like, a kid and, like, a young teen. And I kind of, I feel like I kind of lost touch with that for a long time just because of being in school and being busy with, I mean, you have to read so so much stuff for, for grad school, especially. It feels really hard to enjoy it in your mm. in your free time. Um, but the pandemic's kind of given me like a fun opportunity to reconnect with that, I guess. And like, I got a public library card for the first time in, in years and have been using that way too much. And so, yeah, I don't know, picking up kind of old, old pieces or old habits of mine that have always, always been there, but, uh, yeah, they've just, they've just shifted. They haven't gone away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also the last book I read was One Last Stop. Yes. And I really liked it. Apart from, it was funny because I like finishing a book and then reading all the reviews on Goodreads. And one yeah. of the reviews was just like, you cannot read this book if you hate PDA. And no. I was like, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, no. Yeah. Did you read her first one as well? Red, White and Royal Blue? I haven't read the first one because I can't align myself with the royal family in that way. Do you know what That's I mean? very like, fair. Because I was like, I had seen a lot about it and I know that people think it's really, really good. So I was like, yeah. okay, maybe I do want to read this. But then also I just can't bring myself to read what is essentially like a bisexual Harry fanfic. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's just—it's too extreme for me. Like, I probably would enjoy it, but I think that's what I'm trying to stop happening. Like, I don't. Right. You're I don't want it. My totally. Exactly. <laughs> but I have always felt that Prince Harry has a very bisexual vibe because he's like so chaotic. Interesting. <laughs> I guess. I mean, in um, you know, he is the wild card of the family. I know, which is funny because you were like, he's the sensible one because he's a Virgo. I was like, what? <laughs> but I guess it's like in this in this case, like chaos is sensible. Like like rupturing it is like the sensible thing to do. Yeah, and I think I mean I think the really cool thing about Casey McQuiston's work and especially their first book, Red, White, and Royal Blue, is like it really is this like queer reimagining and like kind of explosion of like genre expectations but then also those expectations of the institution she's writing about which is for those of you who don't know like the book is um like an imagined enemies to lovers uh (laughs) story about the first son of the u.s and the prince of england so it's very tropey and very it has the potential of being really 
weird, like you were saying, Kit. Uh, but I think Casey pulls it off somehow. Maybe I will read it. I feel like all the signs are pointing towards the fact that I should. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's worth a shot. And I did I did really like One Last Stop. Yeah, there you go. Bisexual agenda, read more queer romance novels. Yep, specifically about the royal family. <laughs> specifically about the royal family and specifically if you can find them in a little free library near you. That's so cute. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about the other things we found in the library, but, uh, you know, that was... <laughs> this was what well, we I think, yeah. Andy, I think you should mention the other thing because it gives you the opportunity to talk about one of your fun projects. Okay, so one of the other things I found in the free little library um, during the pandemic is actually a signed copy of Sex and the City, the novel. Um, so it's signed by the author Candace Bushnell. And... This is a tremendous find to me because I know I'm pretty sure that we talked about like I am also like making a Sex in the City tarot deck. I think I yes, sent you like, I just remember lover. this. Yeah. Um, so I'm obviously a really big Sex in the City fan. I like all of the problematic things. Okay, I like the Royals. I like Sex in the City. <laughs> it's like it's my thing. Yeah. So with two of my other like queer friends, we've been. What's one of our pandemic projects we started was this Sex in the City tarot deck. We haven't like really super reimagined a lot of the scenarios, but we did make Stanford the Queen of Pentacles, which we thought was like a very fun queer moment in our deck. That's so cool. I forgot about that. I was like Sex in the City and then I suddenly like remembered in my brain. Because yeah, this <laughs> yeah. is another thing that made me think, okay, yes, this person is super cool and needs to be on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and I can like... I know we've talked about like a lot of articles and like stuff you've done and I can just make sure everything is like linked um, in the description when I do the podcast because yeah, people need to follow the Sex and City Tarot Deck Instagram because yeah, I love it. And it's just in time because the reboot is happening. I know. And obviously we did not know that when we started working on it, but yeah, now I really hope we don't get sued. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things like I did for the Sex and the City Tarot newsletter, like during Pride Month was like, I ranked like the top five uh, queer characters on Sex and the City. And it's like, it's pretty slim pickings, but my uh, controversial take, perhaps controversial opinion, and that was a uh, Samantha's a, not a queer character but it's like pretty obvious like she has like a whole relationship with like a woman like she calls herself a trisexual <laughs> and that she'll try anything once but they mm-hmm. still try to kind of pass her off as straight I think but I think I feel, she actually is really queer I feel like Samantha is actually queer Sagittarius representation Ooh, I mean she's I, and I'm willing to die on that hill no so she, yeah. she's definitely an Aries but um what's sure. Carrie is because I've like Carrie's oh a Libra. God. It's like it's like okay. she's very clear. Like I have really strong opinions about this. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie is is definitely a Libra. Like she's definitely an air sign because of all of the questions that she asks. Hmm. The sartorial choices. It's like it's very Libra. And then also there is an episode where she has a birthday. There's a couple episodes where she has a birthday and it's in the fall. I feel like it's pretty canon that she's Libra. Okay, thank you for finally answering my question because I've yeah. gone between her being a Gemini mm-hmm. or an Aries. Like, I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker is an Aries, so if you're picking up that energy, that makes mm-hmm. sense. She's so chaotic. Like, I just maybe she has like a Gemini moon or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel Definitely. like there has to be some Gemini in there because she is like so unaware of the chaos she creates that like <laughs> I just think a Libra is a bit too conscientious to like be causing that kind of like mayhem on a daily basis well there's always something else like going on in the chart the chart is full of mysteries <laughs> i just like because they have the like um biphobia episode in sex and the city don't they where carrie they like, do. dates the uh bisexual guy. <laughs> but then they also do that thing with samantha where she's they're like oh she's a lesbian for four episodes yeah and it's like you played yourself like she is bi yeah and they're like, I don't think bisexuality exists. <laughs> but yeah, it's really frustrating. You didn't like put Miranda as a queer character? Um, no, I not in the top five. But I think because in the show, even though like the actress Cynthia Nixon is a queer person, mm-hmm. and she's also at one point said that she won't identify as bisexual because no one likes bisexuals. So I don't mm-hmm. love that. <laughs> I don't know if she stands by that comment. That was a long time ago. But, you know, I don't forget those kinds of things. Scorpio. But, mm-hmm. but so in the show, she's 
like she reads as queer, but like none of her relationships are queer except she's set up on a date with a, a lesbian because someone reads her that way. And then she tries to like leverage that into like better relationships in her law office. So she kisses a woman one time and then she says, I'm not gay. <laughs> so in the show, she's not. Yeah, queer. you've stuck to like the truth of the Sex and the City universe. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yes. I'm very much like, okay, Miranda's gay. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see in the reboot. I think a lot of like Sex and the City fans are calling for, you know, make Miranda gay or queer. Anyways, like, let's, we want this storyline. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I feel like they do have a chance to give us like a actually legitimate queer storyline because mm-hmm. like they also had the Charlotte dresses up as a guy kind of episode and like charlotte is obsessed with lesbians episode like yes yeah i actually think charlotte would make a terrific lesbian except that um this was also in my list (laughs) uh not charlotte but like the the art buying lesbians that she loved for a bit there but i think she would she fit in with that crowd and she should have just gone for it that's what i think Mm -hmm. i know she like fit in so well and it's like she just needed to become like a lesbian power couple. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> I have never found anything amazing in a tiny free library, but now I'm like, okay, I'm going to actually try and find something good in one. Yeah. Maybe I need to leave something good in one that someone else. Can I think it is after. really powered, powered by karma. So. Well, I love things like that. <laughs> okay. I feel like we've done everything. I can't believe that we managed to like, finish the episode even with all the wi-fi chaos i know i'm so glad we managed to come back from those glitches and thank you both Mm -hmm. for being so flexible yeah no worries willing to try things it's all good but yeah thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being so wise and also (laughs) being just like a beautiful scorpio sagittarius combo i love to see it (laughs) well thank you so much for having us this was honestly so fun yeah, I feel like one of our favorite things to do is gush about the magic of the Scorp Sag connection. So thank you for giving us space to do that, Kit. It needs to happen more. I feel like Scorpios get a bad reputation and like on my podcast I try to like only do like the good Scorpio press. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, I've been saying it for years. Andy was definitely the Scorpio that like rehabilitated my opinion of Scorpios. Yeah, you heard it here first. Scorpios are not our enemies. Gemini's are. <laughs> Scorpio, exactly. not that bad.